Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McInniff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a joint podcast. Um, I reached out um, to a lovely lady named Cheryl Smith, who's here with me today. And we said, hey, listen, we're both doing senior care podcasts, senior care related podcasts. Why don't we uh, sit down and and introduce each other to one another's audience? And certainly there's plenty of topics to talk about. And uh, we were kind of excited to do it. So um, I'm happy to be a guest on Cheryl's podcast. And I'm thrilled to have Cheryl be a guest on my podcast. So what's going on, Cheryl? How's everything going? Ryan, thanks for having me. Um, this is a great idea. I, I've done this a couple of times before with other uh, people who do podcasts in this space. And it, it's important for us to, you know, spread our nets far and wide. So um, I'm happy to be on here and, and share my wealth with you. Um, I just, I think it's so interesting. I, I always enjoy talking to people to find out how they came into this space. And 99% of the time, it's a personal story. And I know that that's true for you. Um, and even for me as a professional caregiver for almost 40 years, I hate to even say that out loud, but my personal caregiving experiences kind of led me down this rabbit hole of, um, dealing with aging parents and all of the snafus and issues that come along with it. So um, I'm looking forward to talking with you about all of it. You're telling me that aging parents isn't an easy thing to do and it <laughs> comes with complications. Is that what you're saying? Right. I know. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you are a registered nurse and you are the host of Engaging Conversations podcast. And I'm the host of the caregivers toolbox. So I think your name's better than mine, to be quite honest with you, because you have that, because the aging part of engaging is all capitalized. So it's like really good. Um, but how about you tell everybody what you're about, your kind of bio, what you got, how you got into this, a little bit about what the focus is on the podcast and kind of, you know, a little bit about yourself. And then I can go after that. Okay. Well, my podcast came about really very organically. Um, I was actually on a mission to do um, a podcast about being a savvy consumer of healthcare. And my very first interview did not go as planned. I had a lot of technical technical difficulty because I'm an RN by trade. I am not a techie uh, and I'm 60. So when I started three years ago, um, you know, it was just not in my wheelhouse to have all of this technological information. So I'm self-taught. Anyway, the interview didn't happen, but I talked with this really awesome woman. And because the interview didn't happen, we shared our experience about having helped take care of our dads who had cancer. And it was a very like common story. Her story was my story, was her sister's story, was my sister's story. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, she, she was a first generation Chinese American, 20 years younger than me living in San Francisco. And I'm like, hmm, this is not just unique to the two of us. So it just really made me stop and think. Um, so I started talking to people and as you can tell, I'm a little bit of a talker. Um, one conversation led to another, and and there we were with engaging conversations. So I really just talked to I talked to family caregivers about their 
um, personal stories because those stories help bring up issues that arise for many of us. Um, and it's great for people to know, number one, you're not alone. And number two, if you can preemptively strike some of these situations that we found ourselves in, it can make things simpler for you moving forward. And then I talk to experts in all kinds of different um, areas in this space, you know, um, attorneys and Medicare experts and, you know, you name it, uh, geriatric care managers, whatever I think is going to be valuable information to share with my listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how these, these podcasts really do come organically and, um, and it's one of those things that you, you, you become passionate about and you say, Hey, listen, I'm going to try to help people through this, you know, this format, you know, of, of the dozens that are out there to do things. And so how long has your podcast, how long has your podcast? I, I don't edit my podcast. So if I make a mistake, I keep rolling. How long has your podcast been around for? I started about three years ago, uh, three and a half years ago. And I've had, you know, a, a couple of breaks here and there just for things that come up, because as I told you, when we spoke earlier, this is like my volunteer job. I don't get paid for this. Um, I'm just putting stuff out there in the hopes that I'm going to help people and we can come to some kind of consensus because as we're going to talk about, there's a lot of things that impact not only families, but you know, it's a societal level issue that we need to take a look at. Um, so three and a half years, it's 107 or 108 episodes, plus some ones that I didn't number during COVID. So um, I've been around for a little while. <laughs> you know, it, I was talking with somebody in the health health sphere, and I can uh, send you over the, uh, the, the links. But um, he, I was like, you know, I'm, you know, the caregivers toolbox doesn't do a whole lot of, of listeners, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's mighty, but small. Um, and he was like, listen, go to this website. I guarantee you'll be in the top 10 of podcasts because there are such an overwhelming amount of podcasts, but people don't, um, upload on a consistent basis at all. They do it, you know, three or four podcasts. And then they realize, Hey, listen, this is some work. It's not, you know, digging ditches, but it still takes time to book a, a guest and have a conversation and, and do the preliminary, you know, one-to-one -one that we did for 20 minutes or half an hour. And then you got to go through with the podcast, edit it, upload it. Um, it takes some time. And so it was interesting to find out that the caregiver's toolbox was a top 10 percentage podcast, just based off of the pure numbers, because we upload or I upload on a regular basis, just like I assume you did. So it's, you know, your podcast is definitely going to be one of the, the, the up there podcasts, just because based off of there being so many, it's a barren late wasteland of like great ideas that never, you know, really came to fruition and kind of gave up after three or four episodes and things like that. So um, doing it for three and a half years with a hundred plus episodes is uh, certainly a commitment and, and it's great that you're doing yeah, I'm nothing if not persistent. <laughs> a, per a persistent talker? That's a perfect yeah. podcast host. <laughs> and a nurse. So I'm a bossy, a bossy, persistent talker. <laughs> so what is your, so you, you, you mentioned that this is your, your passion project, not your, your pocket change po project. What is your uh, pocket change uh, profession? What are you doing to keep the lights on? Is that in a realm that you are, you want to talk about, or is it, is it, is it something different because you spend half the year here, half the year, um, somewhere else. So is that something that like a consulting job or things like that? Yeah. Well, I, uh... 
for personal reasons, um, some to preserve my physical health. I, I, I worked at the bedside taking care of people in the hospital for the better part of the last 37 years. And I loved that. I, I loved it. Um, but I had some back issues and had surgery and I took a look at what I was doing and I was like, you know what? I don't want to be crippled in my retirement. I am a very active person. I love to play outside. And I had to, I walked away from my job to preserve my physical health and my sanity a little bit because I was commuting to Boston. I had like the three hour in the car, which was going to kill me long before probably my back went out. <laughs> so I, I took a calculated risk. I, I made some choices over about a year, took a calculated risk and went per diem and I've kind of transitioned into a remote employee for a couple of different companies um, contract. So I walked away from my benefits, um, but I'm, I'm living the life that I want to live. So I'm psyched about that. And I'd love to talk to anybody about that at another time, because that's my other passion. Um, and then, so I, it also, this was part of that whole transition because this gave me maybe the courage, I don't know. Um, but the, the opportunity and the eye opening experience that there were other things out there. So, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that's great about your profession is that uh, RNs and LPNs for that matter are always needed and they are extraordinarily needed right now. So, you know, not that there wasn't a risk with what you did, it certainly was, but it's nice to know that you can always go back. Right. And then there's going to be another, I'm not doing that. I know you're not, but I'm just saying <laughs> in, in my, I like having, yeah. I like having safety net and another safety net. And then I, I, when I take those risks, I like having a couple different exits and I would sit there. I have a friend, a very close friend. She's an RN and she only works two days a week and she works a 12 hour shift. She's happy with 24 hours a week, but then she'll be like, if we have a big expense that comes up or we need to buy a new car, then I'll just work a couple extra shifts here and there and save some money. And I've never, I, I've always got the safety net of if I need to work more shifts, I can always mm -hmm. do that if I have to. And I, I, I thought that was always, you know, an interesting aspect of things. Oh, I forgot to turn off my phone. Um, and are certain interesting aspect of looking at it because that's true. You can always trade a little bit more time for a little bit more money and, and, and do that. So, I mean, I'm sure you obviously know that game more than yeah. anybody, but um, you know, it's just unbelievable how nurses right now, I mean, I'm hearing traveling nurses are getting $60 an hour right now. And those are like LPN because there's such a shortage of nurses. So, um, you know, it's, it's a profession that some people can get into and you can make your own hours and, and go forward. But it's great that you've been able to transition out of that and do what you want and save your sanity and save your, your physical health. And you don't have to, you know, waste basically, you know, a good portion of the day in a car. And yeah. I think that's been the biggest thing that for, for white collar workers, um, who commuted around the Boston area and around America has been, oh my gosh, I saved so much time by working from home rather than being in a car going down a little rabbit hole. So it's unbelievable when you get two hours or three hours of your day back, how much you're, you, you're sitting, you know, 515, you're done for the day. And you're like, well, what do I do now? Because I'm usually in the car till seven o'clock. Right, like, right. what do I do? 
So that's, uh, that's great. And then you're able to, to uh, uh, do some, uh, uh, I forget what you said, it was um, work for a couple different companies um, as a, a contract work. And, and that's yeah. great as well. And there's certainly partners and the other ones are always going to need co- contract work. So that's good as well. Yeah, well, it's just like, you know, just will the willingness to be flexible. And I think nursing as a career certainly can allow you to do that. There are many who do that 40 hour a week what in whatever that looks like, 10 hour shifts, 12 hour shifts, weekends, whatever. But um, there's lots of other outside the box things that nurses can do. And you can change um, specialties within your nursing career, unlike physicians, you know, they specialize in something and then that's their niche where nursing allows you, um, to do so many different things and still be a nurse. So that's great. That's anyway. great. And so then I guess, um, I'll let your viewers kind of know how I got into my, uh, my situation. Uh, my name's Ryan McAniff. I'm the owner of a company uh, named Minute Women Home Care. We're located in Lexington. We do private home care services. There are many different agencies in the Boston area that provide private home care services. I got into this um, industry. I grew up locally in the Lexington area. I grew up in Concord and um, I moved out to Colorado. I wanted to drink beer. I wanted to go snowboarding and those that's a really great place to do both. Um, my parents moved down to Florida and like many retirees do. And unfortunately, within a few years of retirement, my mom got lung cancer. And by the time we knew about it, it had metastasized everywhere. Um, being an only child, I quit my job. I moved out down to Florida to be with my mom. It was terminal. We knew that this was not going to end um, in any way, but with unfortunately death. Um, and so we were told about a year, but I think, you know, my mom um, just didn't have the fight in her once she knew it was everywhere. I, I, I think she, you know, probably understandably said, what are we doing here? I like this, it's everywhere. Um, and so she passed away within three or four months. And actually her um, 10 year anniversary is, is a week from today. And so um, while that was going on, my aunt came by and was helping out as many family members do in those, those t- tough times. And she said, hey, listen, you quit your job out in Colorado. You're, you've, you've rented out your place that you just bought. What are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I've been trying to figure out I want to own a business, but I don't know what the heck to do. And, and she said, well, I've, I own Minute Women and I've been looking for an owner and, and I've been out of the company for 10, 10 years, I think it had been at that time, but she had a really good employee that kept the lights on and just answered the phone when it called, but it was definitely going in the wrong direction. It was going down as any company would when there isn't, you know, ongoing leadership there. And she said, go back up to Massachusetts, try it out for a few months. If you like it, we'll figure out a price. If you don't like it, work there for basically peanuts, but you can work there for peanuts until your condo opens up back in Colorado and you can move back to Colorado. So it was a, there was a, it was a win-win. There was no lose scenario. And so I ended up loving it. I took the opportunity. I looked at it as a, a, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, my mom's last gift. Like I wanted to be a, my, uh, my own business owner. I got to help people the way that my mom got helped. We needed 24 hour home care. We needed um, hospice. We drank from the fire hose of information that comes at you when, you know, one month you think everything's fine and mom's playing golf. And the next month she's in a uh, walker, you know, because it's, she's deteriorating so quickly. Um, and so that's how I got into home care. Um, and, you know, it's been a really stressful job. It's been 
been really, you know, um, difficult. It's a 24 hour job. Um, you're, you're working with stressed out families. You're working with caregivers. You're working with human beings. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. So it can be, um, it can be difficult at times, as I'm sure you're, you are more than aware with your past profession. Um, but, you know, we do have a wall of, of a Hall of Fame wall of just thank you notes and appreciation emails and things like that, that um, if you're having a bad day, you can walk by and read, hey, thank you so much for helping my mom in these difficult times. And uh, it, it keeps you, you know, reminding you why you are uh, doing what you're doing. So, that's how I got into my, my job. And I would go out to council on aging's after work. And I would try to hold a little seminar on like the pros and cons, 10 things you need to know about kind of thing with home care. And nobody would show up. And, you know, it's a difficult time because, you know, seniors are trying to show up with their adult children. And, you know, it's, there's always an excuse not to go. I got, you know, the kids, the, the, the bad day at work, I'm just exhausted. And one or two people would show up to these little seminars. And I said, there has to be a better way. And so I said, Hey, listen, I'm going to record myself with, in the beginning, it was with my director of client care, Janet, and we would sit in the office I'm sitting in now, and we would just do three recordings a, a week. And we would just, you know, find a topic. I mean, there's endless topics to talk about. And then we would just put them out. And then once COVID hit, I realized like, listen, you know, we've done probably close to a hundred episodes just on our own. Once COVID hit, it, it, it made sense. Everybody was zooming. So we just, all I had to do was click a button and, and we recorded it. So all of the in-person recordings I had, all that machinery I have, microphones and the cords, it's all gathering dust now because nobody's ever going to use it again when we can just Zoom with one another. And uh, it's been it's been great. I mean, there's no money. Like you, you said, it's a passion project and it's just a way to feel like I'm trying to help people. I work in an industry that caters to the rich. We provide care to people that can pay for it out of pocket. So if I can give guidance to people on, you know, what their options are, whether or not they can afford my services or not, that's why I'm doing this. And I don't expect to get one penny from it. And, um, you know, it's a way to be able to, to try to give back in, you know, whatever way I can. So that's how I got involved. And, and that's why I started it. And like you, like you, it's a passion project to help out. And I'm always surprised when I get the email every week of the 50 to 150, 200 downloads I get. I'm like, there are 200 people listening to me blabber on them all day long, <laughs> but there are. So that's what, right. that's what we did. But, and the reality is there's probably about 20,000 that need to be listening to it. Oh, they yeah. just yeah don't know that we're here. Um, anyway, so we, we decided collectively to talk about money finances, um, as it relates to our topics. Um, and it's something that people like to talk about less than death and dying, you know, <laughs> um, but all the reasons you need to be aware of financial ramifications, um, not only for you, um, your loved ones, but you as the family caregiver and how that can snowball and impact you and your kids, uh, you know, this could be a way long podcast. We're going to abbreviate it and talk probably about a few highlights, but there's a couple of things that I'd like to say before we get into this, um, just for caregivers in general. Um, if you're starting to see a decline in your parents, whatever deficit it is, and you're wondering if you're right, you're right. Trust your gut. Um, it's, it's happening. Uh, and then your journey as a caregiver, as soon as you begin to have those questions, your journey as a caregiver has begun. Um, and it's rare for that trajectory to change course. 
Um, and so you have a choice about whether you're going to be a hands-on caregiver or um, a care manager. So gathering information um, and talking to people who have been there before you get into the throes is hugely important. So I'm asking you um, proactively to share this podcast, both of our podcasts with other people who are of your demographic, who have parents um, and you're, and you're looking down the barrel of this gun. Cause that's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> I totally agree. And I have yet to meet um, somebody in the senior care industry that doesn't agree that uh, a family is doing a fantastic job if they're only three to six months behind where they need to be. Most families are years behind. They, they, they kick the can down the road for various reasons um, and avoid that difficult conversation of decline until it's usually banging at their front door and it can't be ignored any longer. So certainly being proactive is going to be very beneficial and even a little bit of planning will pay dividends down the road without a doubt. Right. Yeah. So um, why do you need to know about your parents' financial situation? Um, give us an example, Ryan. Well, I mean, you know, the, the way that this country works is that senior care costs money and it's paid for in cash for the most part. Um, if you're you, the three biggest ways of senior, getting senior care are going to be private home care, which is what I do, assisted living or nursing home. Um, and all three of those are cash businesses. And granted, nursing homes do get reimbursed by Medicaid, but that's only after a seven-year, five-year look-back period to find out if you have assets that can pay for it. And nursing homes, usually in my neck of the woods, in your neck of the woods, I keep forgetting we're in the same. <laughs> we're in the same grand, neck of yeah, woods. <laughs> 150 grand a year, you know, 130, 150 grand a year, and um, that's a lot of money to be spending on on. So if you don't know what your parents' um, financial uh, uh, amount of money is or have a general idea, it's going to be very difficult to make a determination on what you do and when you do it. Right. And, and the financial ramifications of not knowing have a direct impact on you because, as we mentioned, you can wind up as the, the hands-on caregiver, um, maybe because you don't have a fiscal alternative. Um, and that in and of itself leads to fiscal issues. And at the very, at the very least, a family caregiver, whether you're a care manager or, or caregiver, you're going to be spending some amount of money. It's just how much right. I think the AARP said that the average family caregiver is spending four to $5,000 a year out of pocket just to help out their loved one. And that doesn't include any like lost wages for taking sabbaticals from work or anything like that. Just over the course of the year, picking up a couple groceries, some depends, you know, helping out with the, 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 the co-pays at the pharmacy, whatever it might be, that adds up to real money for a lot of people and four or $5,000 a year. Um, maybe in our little bubble of Massachusetts, it's a little bit more palatable, but there's a lot of places in this country that a lot of people that four to $5,000 a year might as well be a million to them. Um, and it can cost a lot of money. Absolutely. I, I was thinking, I was thinking about parking for Boston doctor's appointments that costs a lot of money. <laughs> That's a perfect, perfect example. Those, those, those deaths by a thousand cuts, you know, the, mm. the, the $50 here, the $25 here. And then at the end of the month, you realize you're four grand, you know, two grand or whatever it is in the hole. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is adding up quickly. Right. Right. And then not to mention, you know, the time off, like you said, from work is, 
we talked about this the other day as the family caregiver, the, that you think of is typically female, the daughter, um, in the prime of their earning career. And if they're taking time off from work, that means that they're not putting money into their 401k, which affects their retirement and their savings for their old age, which then becomes a burden on their kids. So it is a, a rolling ball, a snowball effect. Um, and that I just wanted to bring that up that that's, we're not going to get into that um, too deeply because that's a whole it's a rabbit hole right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we talked about, do you work? Like, are you geographically close to your family having to take time off and, you know, okay. Scheduling around doctor's appointments and travel. Are you driving? Are you flying? Um, are you able to stay with your parents? Is it, you know, do you have to rent an Airbnb? There's just so many things that can get fed into the cost of being the caregiver or care manager. If you're not hands-on and geographically close. And, and what I find, unfortunately, and, and I don't mean to sound too callous, but there is definitely a double-edged sword about being the one that's closest to your, your parent. It's great that you're there and it's great that you can see your family. But if you have a sibling and let's say there's only two adult children and one lives in Maryland and one lives in Massachusetts, that person that lives in Massachusetts is going to be handling far more of the burden of being the caregiver and the care manager than somebody that lives in Maryland. And what we generally see is is that it usually it usually is divided about around you know uh, the the women end up being hands on boots on the ground doing the care and then the guy ends up writing the check and he's the money manager and and I think it's completely lopsided the amount of work that one does and the other one does but that's where I found with most of my clients that that's how they that the division of labor ends up being that you know the the daughter or the sister is doing most of the care while the the, the son or the brother is doing more of the money management which I don't really think takes nearly as much work yeah um that's absolutely true. And being geographically close, my sister was the one who was that for my parents. I always felt like I used to say to her, like, I feel like I'm the divorced dad and I get the kids on the weekends and I get to go play because I would like take mom out of the assisted living and like do things with her that she couldn't do because she was working full time and taking care of her kids and making sure mom had depends and making sure that they were taking good care of her popping in all the time. Um, so, and when I would come, you know, we went out and played. So it's a uh, division of labor is not equal. And uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how you fix that. It, it is what it is. It is what it is. And, and it's just uh, because most people at the time they're in their forties or whenever this is taking, they have kids, they have a job, they can't, they can't just, it's not like you're a college age kid where you're like, Oh, I'll just leave this dumpy apartment and move across the country. You're, you have roots in that area and it's just not possible to just get up and leave yeah. um, for most, for most people. So it's not necessarily like meant to be mean. It's just like, that's what ends up happening. And so a lot of that burden ends up on one person, which isn't fair, but it's just the way that it works out. Yeah. But that being said, you know, my vacations were going to give her a break. So, <laughs> you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's pay on, on both sides. So, you know, there's, there's not an easy, there's not an easy, uh, caregiver role, I don't think in a family. And part of, part of that comes down to, this is not financial, but like, um, dynamics, you know, you're an only child. I'm one of one of five. So, um, the pecking order of your youth comes back 
in all of those situations when you're trying to help your parents and make the right decisions and do things like, would they have wanted that if they can't speak for themselves? Like um, all, all of that stuff comes back. Absolutely. And, and that makes it even more complicated when you start working about around the money, because, you know, um, you know, we've, we've, we've all heard you get a bunch of people in, you get a 100 people in a in a room, and you're gonna have 100 different opinions on a, on a topic that um, it may not even be that that divisive. And imagine if it's a divisive subject like mom's care and how we're paying for it, and then it can get really nasty, really quickly, or just there are a lot of there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen. And so it can be very difficult for families. And, and that's one area where I'm fortunate where, you know, listen, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be doing everything, but at the same time, I'm going to be doing everything, right? So there's no division of labor, but at the same time, it's going to be very easy to make these decisions because I don't have to consult with anybody. Um, but it can be a lot when you have, you know, I, I see here, you were talking about kind of your support system and having a support system is good, but sometimes that support system can also kind of turn on itself a little bit. And that's where, you know, going to some type of planner or doing something, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that money planning is going to automatically lead into care planning. Because if you start talking about your money, then you're going to end up talking about, well, what do you want to do with your money. And so if you're able to do something and set up a plan, then that's going to make things a heck of a lot easier for your, 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 your children. And it's going to hopefully, um, you know, I have a close friend without naming names, but he butts heads with his daughter, his sister big time. And so what's that going to look like in another 10 or 15 years when some of these important decisions have to be made. And so if you plan a little bit, then you're going to be able to kind of of hopefully turn down the heat on that, that simmering pot right there. Right, right. I mean, that's, a, that's a great point as to why it's so important to have discussions with your parents, while they're able to tell you what they want and have them put it in writing. Because if it's documented, and that's what they wanted, you know, you as their proxy, or whatever, you're following their wishes, and you've got something to fall back on, rather than, well, I think mom would have wanted this because that sibling may say, well, I think she wouldn't have, or I don't care what she wanted that this is what I want. But if it's documented, um, then you've got a leg to stand on. Absolutely. And, and, you know, somebody might say, Hey, I talked to mom in 2005 about this. Well, you know, that was 15, 16 years ago, things can change in 15 or 16 years. And then somebody says, Hey, well, listen, great. I have this document from 2019 before mom had her stroke and this is what she wanted. So, you know, we, we have something in, like you said, in documentation that, that makes things easier. Yeah. I, um, just thinking back to you, you had mentioned um, Medicaid, just you touched on that. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole either. But, you know, it's important to know, um, you know, is is your parents home their only asset? Do they have, you know, a financial savings? Do they have a 401k? Do they have a pension somewhere? Do they have CDs somewhere? Um, because they potentially are living in their biggest asset. Um, and that although people in place 
and maybe it may be the right thing to do. Uh, things have to be looked at from many different avenues um, because they've worked their whole lives. They live in this house. I want to die in this house. You hear it all the time. Um, do you want to not die in this house and lose your house because you can't stay there because you can't afford the care that you need to stay there? Um, and you've got to go to the nursing home. So you're going to pay down that nursing home until your house is gone and you've got less than $2,000 in your savings account. And then you've got nothing to get that Medicaid bed. Um, so I, I think, I mean, we talk a lot, a lot about problems. I know we're kind of um, on a little bit of a time crunch here today, but solutions, I mean, talking to an elder law attorney um, to find out what your options are after you've had the discussion with your parents, like, what do you want? Like, okay, this is plan A, but what if plan A doesn't work in a perfect world? What, you know, what are our other options? Um, and just like putting it all out on the table and say, I'll, I'll do the best I can for you, mom, to get this done. But there's got to be some kind of trust about us having your best interests at heart um, for you to be safely managed in a place that you are as comfortable as you can be and that um, allows us to be not pissed off about being the hands-on care. <laughs> There's so much more to money than just money, you know, um, the anger and frustration or the inability because of maybe your own health issues that you can't be the hands-on caregiver, you know. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. I mean, those, those, those are big questions. And certainly one of the reasons why reverse mortgages are becoming very popular again is because people want to stay in their own home. I mean, the last, the last 16 months, as far as I'm concerned, has, has basically been the nail on the coffin in nursing homes and, and is going to hurt assisted livings for a, a extended period of time, if not long, you know, for years. Um, people want to age in place in their home before COVID and they sure as hell want to do it now. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at that house, there's, there's two, Two, two things. And I, I preference this with the joke that I've heard family members say that on tax day, everybody's a Republican, you know, and so people put their, their house and their assets in these trusts. And the only reason they're doing that is so that they can avoid that five year or the biggest reason they're doing that is avoiding that five year a look back period on on Medicare uh, and Medicaid when you go into a nursing home. Now you can say that's and, and the reason I bring up that joke is there are some people that don't think that's right, that you're avoiding having to pay um, for services that would be obviously helping other people that can't pay for those services and spreading that wealth around. And there are other people that say, hey, listen, this is my money. And it's, it's you know, when it's, when it's my money, well, that's a different story kind of scenario. And I've met people that are on both sides of that fence, but at, this, at the same time, you need to be proactive about that. You can't be doing that after mom has started her decline. You need to do that before, and you need to have that plan because it's a five-year look back period. And if your mom gifts you $15,000, let's say every single year, which isn't uncommon in this world, and they go in that look back period, they're going to say, hey, listen, Cheryl, we saw you were getting $15,000 as a gift every single year, we need that money back. 
And that's the problem that families can, can encounter. And that's why these trusts are set up. But at the same time, that's one of the reasons why nursing homes are having the difficulty they're having is one, nobody wants to go into them. And the people that do go into them are going into them with hat in hand, and they don't have any money or their money's locked up in a trust that they, the nursing home can't get to. And so that's going to be causing issues certainly immediately and down the road with senior care communities because they're closing and merging at a rapid rate. And that's going to lead um, uh, things down a tricky road. And it's quite frankly, a downward, downward spiral. Um, because, you know, one of the things we we're going to talk about is the cost of 24 hour care versus uh, a, a sniff is that 24 seven care is going to be more than what a, a sniff is. A sniff is about $15,000 a month, 24 hour care right now is about $25,000 a month, but you're getting one-on-one -on -one care versus getting pooled care, which is what the sniff is. But what's happening in these nursing homes is that, you know, they are cutting costs as much as they humanly can. And that means that they're not updating their building. They're maybe not using the best quality food that they could be uh, purchasing. And then also they're trying to cut corners on their staffing. And we already have a staffing crunch as it is. Mm -hmm. And so, so what happens when you start, you know, eroding those reasons why anybody would want to go to a nursing home? Well, less people are going to want to go to the nursing home, which means that you get less income, which means you have to reduce costs even more. And it just ends up being that downward spiral. Um, I tell families, hey, listen, if you want to spend your last dollar with Minute Women, I'm certainly not going to say no to you. But you know, I feel like ethically, I need to say, if you want to go to a nursing home, you should be walking into those doors with at least $70,000, $80,000, if not a full year's worth of uh, cash payment in hand, because you will be surprised how many nursing homes will roll up that red carpet when they know you have a hundred grand or more to be able to offer them. And then if you don't have a hundred grand, or you only have five or 10 grand, all of a sudden rooms aren't available in the nicest nursing homes in town. And then all of a sudden you're looking at placement in maybe the most, not the most uh, uh, nicest nursing homes that you would normally want to be in. So there is a, a gamesmanship for lack of, there's strategy involved in this and it's not right. And I'm not saying it's right, but this is why you need to plan for when you're 65 for when you're 75 and then 75 when you're 85, whatever that is, because these are going to be some difficult conversations that you have. And once you get into the senior care world, it costs a lot of money. It's going to cut, whether you use me, assisted livings or nursing homes, or you go to the hospital because you, you fell and broke your hip and needed a surgery, it's going to cost a monumental amount of money. And you might as well plan for that because the majority of us are going to have to go through that process at some point in time. Agreed, 100%. I just want to roll back again, back to um, what I had originally said about, you know, if you're if you're questioning, you know, some deficits that you're that you think you're seeing, you are seeing them. Trust your gut. So what do you do? What do you do then? What what kind of resources are available to you? Um, as, as a professional caregiver, show up at your doctor's appointments with your parents, you know, start accompanying them, um, talk to the staff in your doctor's office. Um, is there a social worker you can contact? Because like, how do you know? I mean, my example, my personal example as a family caregiver most recently um, is with my mother-in-law. She's had a couple of surgeries over the last couple of years. She lives alone. 
um, is very independent, but she's been getting frail, um, and, but doesn't want any help. So she had a knee replacement two years ago. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, this is outpatient surgery, no rehab. The doctor doesn't want her to go to rehab because the infection risk goes up. So she's like, great. I get to come home and sleep in my bed. I'm like, great. Who's going to get you in the door and who's going to get you into the shower and up at night to go to the bathroom? Um, and, oh, but well, visiting nurses coming in, well, they're not meeting you at the door when she gets discharged, you know, all these things that if you don't have a little bit of medical background, you don't even think about until you're like, oh shit, we're pulling in the driveway. What do we do now? You know, it's, <laughs> it's worse than bringing home a new baby. Like, what do we do now? <laughs> um, Absolutely. so talk with a social worker, find a case manager, um, you know, is it time to talk about having a geriatrician, you know, changing primary care doctors, getting the people who, you know, are on the medical side involved to help you set up resources because they don't, they don't share that stuff with you in the surgeon's office. Um, you know, you, you have to be proactive. Absolutely. And, and, and living in Massachusetts and both of us being in Massachusetts, you know, where the Massachusetts is great towards seniors, uh, almost every single town has a council on aging and, uh, and then the regions have their, their ASAPs. And I know that it can be different from state to state and understandably some states are, you know, spread out and you don't need a, you know, a, a COA in every single town with, you know, uh, 300 people in it, but you know, there are resources out there in most states to, to start looking. Most people live on the coasts, which are highly densely populated. And there are usually free government, you know, buildings that have council on aging's in them that you can start that journey and, and getting more information. Um, I have always re recommended two things online. Uh, the five wishes um, uh, documentation Absolutely. is an outstanding place to start. It is, it is, you know, what is it? Seven or eight questions. And it allows you to have um, healthcare proxy and it allows you to have kind of documentation on what you want if you are unresponsive. And it is legally binding document in a good way, <laughs> in a good way in the vast majority, in the, the majority of states in the United States. Um, and the other thing, and I am part of this, this group, and my point was not to bring on uh, promotion for this, but I'm part of the National Aging in Place Council, which is a, um, a council that has something called the Act 3 document. If you Google Act 3 and NAIPC, it's a 26-page document. Um, it's free to download. And it, 26 pages sounds like a lot, but it's just a lot of questions. And it allows you to start thinking about what you want. It's very much what we're talking about in the sense of you can take a week to think about this or a little bit of time and you can do it on your own and say, hey, what are my wishes? What do I want to happen? How do I want to navigate this part of my life? And then you can present that to your family or you can, as an adult child, present that to your parents and maybe they'll be willing to sit down on their own with no pressure and think about some of those questions. And geez, even if they answer 50% of the questions, I'll take it. You know, 50% is a heck of a lot better than, than, uh, than 0%. And at least you have an idea of, of what um, you want to do. It goes through a lot of things. So some people might not be comfortable answering every single question, but at least you have a starting point and it opens up the door for discussion. And a lot of people have a, a difficult time 
breaking the ice with that and going from being a, I call it a subordinate, you know, you're looking up to your parents, they're always in charge, they're the authority figure, to it being at the very least now, even if not, you're really the authority figure here, and you're going to be involved in making some critical decisions, and having input in a, a guideline with that is a very good thing to do. Absolutely. And then of course you have to listen to our podcasts. I mean, that's, that goes without saying, <laughs> most importantly, you have to listen to our podcast. Then you can do all the other stuff we're talking yes. about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the five wishes documents though, no, was great. And, um, we actually did it with all of our family members. Like I brought them out, like at a meal and said, we've got these things. We want you to look them over. And I've got kids. My, my kids are in their twenties. My, my son doesn't live here. So he wasn't involved at the table, but you know, my 28 year old daughter and my mother-in-law and my husband, and I like, this is, I want you guys to look these over. We're going to fill these out. Um, think about read through it. Think about what you would want. I mean, it, and it's binding until you change it. You know, if it's something as time changes, your thoughts change and you know, you can, you can update it over time, but having those discussions early and often, um, kind of break down that, that barrier to like, you know, the, whatever it is, fear, of death. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that 100% of us are going to do. We're, we're all heading in that direction. So you can have some control over it, or you can stick your head in the sand. Um, and one thing that, you know, to, to mention that's very timely, but I don't think it's going to age very quickly is that, you know, we are in the middle of a, a major caregiver shortage right now. Mm. Um, nursing homes, assisted livings, VNAs, hospitals, private home care, they're all pulling from the same pool of caregivers and there aren't enough to go around. And that doesn't even include all the people that are privately hiring caregivers under the table. Um, and the reason I bring that up is that right now, if you can enlist some type of network, whether it's neighbors, whether it's friends that can help out a little bit. I can't tell you how many, we, we have a case going on right now. It's in an assisted living, but they're unhappy. And I understand why that they have to pay in a, a higher charge because they're getting uh, a, a very little amount of care in terms of of out of 168 hours in a week. And I get why they're upset, but if I don't charge them that to pay the caregivers that, I get, I'll have nobody show up. So they they said, well, will you give us referrals to a couple different agencies? And I gave them three or four different agencies. They called up every single one of them and every single one of them turned them down because they knew that they didn't have the caregivers to be able to provide that level of care. Um, and so, if you can find neighbors and recruit family members that are close by and neighbors that are willing to help out, and it doesn't need to be with personal care, but going out and getting the groceries, doing a little bit of transportation, things that you and I may take for granted, but are huge when they are no longer able to be done on your own, that's going to save you a lot of grief and it's going to save you a lot of money because right now services that you pay for are not going to be able to provide that little bit of care. We get weak calls every week where somebody just wants an hour in the morning and an hour at night because they need to get somebody changed and into bed and changed and out of bed. And it's, it, there's a 0% chance that we're going to be able to uh, provide those services in any way, shape or form. That's going to be up to our level, level of satisfaction and their level of satisfaction. So I don't see that caregiver shortage ending 
next week or next month. It's going to be a problem for a while, especially as we navigate through coronavirus and the Delta variant and God knows what comes next. Right. Please, nothing next. Um, <laughs> but that is something to take into consideration coming right from the owner of a home care company. I don't like turning away business, but there's just not enough caregivers to go around and the caregivers know that they can wait another day and get a 12 or 16 hour shift instead of taking a one to two to three hour shift. So keep well, that in mind. That's my, my personal experience as well. You know, it's taken six weeks to get services set in place and approved for services. And then you're on a waiting list because they don't have caregivers to do this. So enlisting the help of neighbors for taking the trash out, bringing the mail in something simple because neighbors want to help that. How many times do you go to your moms and is there something we can do something we can do to help? And you're like, Oh no, everything's fine. That, that having to go over there on a Monday morning and put her trash can out can be the thing that puts you right over the edge. And if it's something simple like that, that your neighbors would gladly do, let them do it, let them do it. Um, and I think that we also need to be creative and thinking outside the box. Like, do you have a friend who's got in a similar situation? Can you share care, you know, um, help each other out? Um, I, I mentioned to you, you know, my, my brilliant idea of, uh, you know, house sharing. I, I don't know how, how to make it happen, but for people who are functioning, but need a little assistance, you know, making sure that they get fed, that their meds are set up, maybe help with bathing, but, but they need companionship. They need, um, to be able to be in community with somebody, those McMansions, you know, five bedrooms, five bathroom houses, everybody's got their own, but they come together for a meal and there's an aid that's in my, this is in my head. I'm a great idea girl. I've no. <laughs> well, it's a little, it's a little like the golden girls, but just needing a little aid in there. Yeah. Yeah. You throw the health aid in there. Yeah. The slapstick health aid. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, you got a sitcom. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and there's definitely ways like my girlfriend's um, mother has health issues and she lives with two other women um, who are in the same boat where they're not rich. They, they, they only, you can only live in one room at a time, right? They all have a bedroom. Mm -hmm. So why not share those costs? And then just, you know, because we're around each other, we can help each other out a little bit, even if it's as simple as calling 911 and the other the other family members that are involved and say, hey, listen, there's a problem. I think we need some help versus somebody being isolated and living alone. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not, there's no perfect, there's very unlikely there's going to be, you know, a, a magic bullet that solves anything, but you, you're absolutely right where you need to think out of the box and see what can we do. And in, even if that provides another year of independent living, that's a huge amount of time for somebody. And, um, you know, it, it, it makes a big difference in somebody's life to be able to, to stay where they want to stay for as long as they can. Yep. Here's another idea. College student who needs a place to live. How about free room for making sure meals are done? Something, yeah. you know, something like that, or a single parent who needs, you know, somebody to read to her kid while she makes dinner <laughs> just yeah absolutely i mean those are all things that are are definitely uh viable and should be considered and and there are plenty of adults uh seniors out there that live in a you know in a 
uh, a 3,000 or 2,500 square foot house somewhere that has three bedrooms in it that that two of them never, ever, ever have been used in the last 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there's, there's certainly ways that you can do that. And I think that um, any way that you can find your way to navigate through that without having to spend as much money as you can and you can get the services you need is always a good thing. There's always going to be private home care and assisted living in, in nursing homes for now, at least with nursing homes. That's a whole nother episode we can do. But, you know, we're always going to be here. We're a crisis driven industry where something bad happens. They need a lot of care immediately. That's what we're there for. Taking out the garbage, taking out, you know, the bringing in the mail. That's something that's very difficult to do. And you're absolutely right of thinking outside the box to, to overcome those kind of challenges. Yeah. And I'd say the biggest, best suggestion of all, if you're in the Boston area, call Ryan. <laughs> I'm happy to speak with anybody. I, you know, one of the things that I pride myself on is people call up and they want to know like why I'm, you know, they've called five agencies and they can't figure out what's going on. And I'll tell them like, listen, here's, here's the reason why nobody's able to help you. And I'll be brutally honest, just like I was with you. And, and people really appreciate that because they just want to understand what our capabilities are, what they aren't. And if it's something we can help you with, great. If it's something that we can't help you with, I'll let you know, and I'll let you know if it's a long shot that I'll give you the list of a hundred different agencies and I'll, but I'll be honest with you if I think it can be done or not. And then of course, we always have referral partners that we can bring in and like you said care managers or whoever it might be to to help out another person that we refer to a lot is um, a, an assisted living locator placement person that doesn't doesn't charge you any money he gets paid by the assisted living that you go to but he will know or they will know all of the places in the area so there's a lot of um, help that can be given and I find that most people in the senior care community are more than happy to give you a, some of their time and help educate you because we work with so many families that are thrown into the deep end of the pool and then it's like yeah figure it out and then they're like well uh, you know what do I do here and so when we get that call of somebody that has a little bit of time and is trying to plan we're so thrilled about it and we're happy to, to give them the advice that that we can give them and Ryan so where for my podcast listeners where can people find you I uh, just just type in Minute Women to um, into Google and we'll come up. We're in Minute Women Home Care, and then you can find me on the the Caregivers Toolbox and certainly share your information with my listeners, please, Cheryl. Absolutely. So my my podcast is called Engaging Conversations, but you will find me under my name, Cheryl Smith RN, and that's Cheryl with an S. Any place where you um, find your podcasts. Um, if you have any questions for me, if I can give you any um, hints or resources, um, you can email me Cheryl at CherylSmithRN.com. And I'm Cheryl with an S. Perfect. Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Likewise, thank you for coming on mine. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was good. We can do this again and uh, and enjoy the, this rainy day that we're both experiencing at the thank same God time. Thank God we had another rainy day. We have not had enough of them. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, have right, a good bye. one, everybody, and enjoy the day. Take care. Bye.